What's up, gamers? Uh, this is the Battle Mallet Podcast. You're listening to episode 740. Yay! Uh, this is a podcast delving into the minds of four busy gamers, uh, their annual journey to Nova, the games that they love, playing those games, and balancing life with those games. I'm Jared. I'm Danny. Back. Oh, he's back. Yay! Yay. I know y'all was much rejoicing. <laughs> Who else I'm Jason. There, there we go. Nobody else that matters. Let's be it's real. It's supposed to be Trace, but you know. Did he I say did that? that? I said uh, it. Gosh, we're, we're out of touch. Danny comes in and he messes, messes everything, everything up. up. Uh, I'm like a very strong spice that like when you put it in the dish, that's all you taste. It's uh, all, <laughs> all Danny all the time. All Danny all the time. Oh, man. So, um, so here in episode seven... Um, Thanks to our, our Captain Timekeeper, uh, I think we'll probably be able to keep things a little more under control, so we're going to be ambitious and try to do four whole segments. Um, Got my stopwatch ready. Yeah, clicky clicky. Uh, so we're going to start out, we'll talk about Vigilus Ablaze a little bit, um, and then we're going to discuss the contrast paints, which uh, there are some mixed opinions on, I think. So, uh, some well, contrasting opinions. Oh, oh, ah. it's too easy. You're welcome. Count. You're, you're rusty. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you try again later. <laughs> um, Danny De- is going to lead us through a crack glass segment where we talk about, uh, some underworld stuff. And then, uh, we have, uh, some thoughts on a 40 K campaign, maybe trying to get started in our gaming group that we'll talk a little bit about. Um, but before we dig into that, what's everybody been up to? Trace? Uh, I played a game with you, Jared. Oh, that's right. You did. Yes. Um, we played a test game for our respective halves, or doesn't really matter who drives what, really. No. Um, the two halves of our Nova Doubles Age of Sigmar armies. Um, it was a fun game. Came down to just a couple little dice rolls, which was which is always the best kind of game you can have. Yep. Um, Jared ended up winning it. Uh, if I had had one character stick around just one little bit longer, I probably would have won it, or I think at least. So, yeah. Um, so it's always nice when you have two players that are really trying to think um, <clears throat> as much as you can about what you need to do in tactics and. I felt like we did that, and both with armies that we weren't super familiar with, so yeah. it was more of an organic experience, which was nice. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought uh, I had a great time, and I was just yeah. happy to roll some other dice other than ones that had criticals and supports on it, because all the Lord knows I just roll supports all day. Yep. So yeah, you, did, you did not roll only supports. Uh, I did not. You, I actually your had dice were hot. They were super hot. I'm hoping that they stay that way. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be sweet. Yeah, I think that the quote for the game uh, uh, was "Stop." Well, well that well, okay. Well, that was the negative <laughs> quote. I was going for the positive one uh, that was, "Wait, what?" Yeah. Um, just with the different synergies that were coming up, even within my own army, that I didn't fully comprehend, uh, just because I'm not familiar. Where I was like, "Wait, my reavers are going to have how many attacks now?" Yeah. Um, Jared. And, got to delve into the mind of madness because i yeah. kept spitting all these ideas at him and he was like yeah that sounds good that sounds good and then we actually started playing it he was like wait what wait what 
Yeah, and uh, then thinking about it, you know, because obviously we weren't getting full synergies because I was playing against half of what is our army, but I was like, wait, so you're telling me that when we're on the same side of the table and my unit's doing this and your unit's doing that, then all of this is going to happen? Yeah. So it was good, and it, it definitely made me more excited about the concept of playing. And the other important thing is that it made me a little bit more excited about painting. So. Um, and so for those good. of you who don't really know what armies we were playing. Jared and I are playing a Beastmen and Blades of Corn combined force for Age of Sigmar for the doubles. So Jared was driving the the Blades of Corn with his Stompy Bloodthirster that uh I didn't have a whole lot of tools to deal with. We will face opponents that have tools to get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> but um he will be supported because I don't think Jared realized how fast the Beastmen can be Oh my gosh. So, yeah. Um, and how quickly you can get units out to help you support and do some cool tactical stuff like summon on, on Gore Bowman that will shoot at people from the board edge. So, yeah. Um, so, fun stuff. Um, and then I've also I've been painting, been painting the Beastmen, uh, started painting the Knights for our Age of our, uh, 40k doubles list because. Jared conceded and came to the dark side for me, and so I conceded and went to the light side with him. So now he's going to play his Grey Knights, and I'm going to play my Imperial Knights for our 40k narrative doubles. So I've been working on those. Um, and then I've also been adjusting and tweaking and playing with some ideas for basing for my Black Legion army, um, which I sent some pictures to some of you guys about. Um feedback on that yeah so I, I yeah i didn't respond um i was at the folks this weekend so trying to keep the phone not in my hand the whole time um but yeah so you originally sent some that were black with orange yep. um and i think you were right like i don't think there's going to be enough contracts with black legion models on black bases um and then the second set of pictures that you sent um it was like off-white it's like a bone color, bone color, and like then purple, purple mm-hmm. underlighting. I think that one's gonna look good. Um, so if I had to pick between the two of those, I would say to go with the off white with the purple underneath. The only other option I could think of would be to do um, like a like bring the black up to like gray to with white highlights for like yeah. the concrete asphalt floorboard whatever and then stick with the orange but my only my only thing is is like i knew i was going to need to tie in other colors from just different if i was going to do the orange glow on the bases i knew i needed to change like my plasma glow on all the stuff on all my models and so i knew that i was going to have to tie in some other colors from just different things so i opted to stay with more of the orangey glow on the plasma themselves on the models and then have more of the contrasting colors on the bases. So, um, I do like the, the orange and or the, the bone and the purple a little better. Um, just from a like tie in and I'll Danny, I'll send these pictures to you cause I haven't done it yet. Um, because you're the one who knows probably the most about color theory of all of us. So, but anyway, so that's what I've been working on. Um, Danny, what have you been working on? 
Besides um, getting married and traveling. <laughs> yes, I got married. Uh, pulled that off. Didn't didn't screw it up. So that was a plus. Um, didn't have to reprime. Nope, because uh, I never prime. So there's that. Yeah. Um, but uh, in all seriousness, after getting back from the honeymoon and traveling, uh, and kind of re-getting my bearings, because life is crazy when you spend a month planning a big old party. Um, I've gotten actually a lot of painting done. I've got almost all of my Gondor army uh, blocked in. Like 80% of it is color blocked, and I'm still waiting on two miniatures. And then the other, I'll say 15%, is like half color blocked. And so my whole strategy with my Nova armies is that I'm going to just try to get them uh, blocked and washed and kind of neat so that they are tabletop ready by the end of June, early July. And then I can spend the next month or two just trying to pick out some details and make them uh, something I can be proud of. Um, But that way I can't, I don't show up to the event disappointing any of my partners and having a couple of gray models here or there because I got obsessed with, I don't know how to shade a cloak or something stupid like that. Yeah. So you need some contrast paints. Yeah, that's all I need. Just <laughs> just a whole world of contrast paints. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm really excited. The the Gondor army, man, I'm not going to lie. When you look at the Lord of the Rings miniatures on a one-to-one basis, they're kind of lousy because they don't stand up next to what GW is producing today. But you put an army of those suckers down, they look really cool. And if yeah, you're a nerd cool. like me that loves the Lord of the Rings book, movie, all of it, yeah, like it's it's a fun little little fantasy let me tell you that's awesome so how many uh, white trees of gondor have you freehanded so far uh luckily none because they're actually molded onto the shields somehow um oh, not nice. very well but they are yeah, uh i think the only really shallow yeah they're that's like their faces are shallow there's that's they're not they're not good like don't like if you put them next to a modern model they are light years behind but uh, as a collective, they look really sharp. That's um, awesome. But I think the only tree that I'm going to have to freehand is on Boromir's um, banners. So because he's mounted okay. and footed, but footed, yeah, that's a word. Um, <laughs> he is on foot and mounted, and those will need to be freehanded. So gotcha. Cool, Jason. What you been up to? Well, first off, Danny, it was a wonderful, wonderful party. So we really uh, appreciate being invited um, to be made fun of. It was great. <laughs> I had no idea that was going to happen. <laughs> and I also kind of loved the fact that it happened literally as close to you as it could have been. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a really, really good time. Highly enjoyable. And glad to have you back. Um, you did go to the, the pilgrimage, but you did not go to Warhammer World, correct? Yeah. And my lovely wife tried to get me to do it many times, but I just I figured we were only over there for it was like six days. We're on our honeymoon, and there's so much to see and do in London as is. That's where I went was to London. Um, that I couldn't justify putting her on a train, especially on a weekend where it was Warhammer Fest. So I was like, I didn't even know what was going to be at Warhammer World, and so I just was like, we can't. I'm not going to make you do that. But she really wanted me to, and so I did what every husband does, and I I disappointed her and didn't go. <laughs> well great um for my for my hobby progress i um 
got in a really a few games of Underworlds. So while Trace and Jared were playing Age of Sigmar at one shop, I went back to our normal Underworlds shop at in Raleigh, and uh, I got some three really refreshing games, kind of like what I needed. Uh, you know, after playing Trace and Jared about a thousand times, uh, you know, sometimes you just need to play some other people. And I took Eyes of the Nine. So I don't know why, but I've transitioned back to, to them to, to have some fun. And the funny thing is, is the deck uh, is really what it was a few months back. It only includes one card from the new sets. Um, so really just, you know, revitalizing that warband and uh, had three great games with three great opponents. Um, you know, one one game came down to one glory. So. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It was what I needed to to respark my my underworld's creativity, um, and I'll be playing eyes here, um, you know, for the foreseeable future, uh, at least until Nova when I go back to the the warband that I love to hate. Um, and then, other than that, I, I think I think some money is owed because we're at episode seven, and uh, I think when we started this, I said I wasn't going to commission paint and any armies and there was like an over under um (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that might have happened well it hasn't happened fully yet but yeah um the gets for underworlds will be going off to get painted at the end of this week uh and then because i've had to switch um commission artists for the crimson fists um the new studio is bringing in a few models of Crimson Fist that they've done before. And, um, you know, Dark Budding Creatives, they just have a different style of painting completely. Um, they use like a high contrast airbrush style of paint. So I need to see how those models will fit into my current Crimson Fist collection to see how we want to go. But I'm 99.9% certain that my Crimson Fist models will be sent off later this week as well to um, get my chapter up to speed. Really just that backlog, man, it, it haunts me when, when I get too many models and they're sitting in gray, I totally get demotivated. So there, there it's happening. I mean, who, who picked episode seven? Sounds like you need some contrast paint. I was going to say, did you, did you say contrast? <laughs> yes. I, you yes, need to check the tape because I'm, I want to get paid. <laughs> I don't even remember what we said. I want to. I want to say that I felt like I gave him the most credit, but you probably did. I think I probably was an asshole and said like one. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think. I think. I think I was at like two or three. I think Danny said four. So. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to go back and check the tape. We'll report but, back next episode. But that's where that's where I stand. And like I said, it's still not a hundred percent official other than the gits. And I'm looking forward to to getting the gits out there and getting them painted. Uh, when it comes to underworld factions, I send off what I don't want to paint. So like Eyes of the Nine and the Gits, I have no I look at those work bands and I'm like, I don't want to paint that at all. So those are the ones that I send off. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, I have been color blocking black fabric on Reavers. And that's all I've gotten done, I think, since the last time we talked. Scars? Um, oh, like... yeah, I did the scars, yeah. But I think oh. I had had those done. You don't have, like, ago. a big day coming up for you soon, so. You know. Yeah, I'm not, like, literally moving in two weeks or anything. 
moving in literally two weeks. That's the way that should go in English language. Um, so it's a terrible yeah. language anyway. It's fine. Just yeah, mutilate fine. it as much as you want to. Yeah. So uh, I will probably not get any hobby progress done um, for at least two weeks, maybe a little longer, because uh, we're going to start packing. So and it's like the small, easy stuff that gets packed up first, and that's paints and models that are already in smaller-ish boxes and things. So, um, but then cool. after that, we got to get back into it, and because uh, uh, yeah, Nova is as of uh, yeah as of as of the recording, it is three months and one day away. So, wow, that's like no time at all. No, it's not. It's but not it's fine. Time. You're Ready moving to the south side, and I mean, just to update you, like we now have access to the community pool, so like we can totally go there, drown the kids, and just hobby <laughs> while we're sitting there. Perfect. It'll be fine. Yeah. It's only on public uh, record. That's right. <laughs> There's a lifeguard. That's what they're there for. That's right. Oh. Uh. Well, that's awesome. No officer, yeah. there was no motive at all. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, had, I don't know whose figures these are. <laughs> I had to get models painted. Yeah, uh, yeah, that'll be great. Sorry, babe, I can't go to the pool with you and the kids. I gotta get these models painted. <laughs> that's gonna go over well. No, I'm not ready to put together that IKEA sectional yet. Don't you see these reaver axes that need painting? Uh, yeah, so that should be good. Anyway, um, yeah, so I guess uh, that's all we got for what we've been up to. So uh, why don't we take a break here, and then we'll uh, we'll kick into some uh, talking about Vigilus. Welcome back. We're going to dive into, or at least talk about, uh, Vigilus Ablaze. So with Danny rejoining the crew here for this episode, um, it's time to talk about some 40K and some narrative stuff. So first impressions of the story, guys. Uh, you know, Danny, what were your thoughts? Uh, I wish there was a word that described the sound of a trombone slide. <laughs> the womp, womp, womp. <laughs> there should be a word for that. Right? Uh, Trombodenfreude? Trombodenfreude. Going with it. Um, I, I thought it was kind of a letdown after the first part myself. Uh, it it did what 40K lore always seems to do. is It sets a table, asks you to eat, and then takes away all the food right as you pick up your knife and fork. I mean, Jared, do you, do you echo his statement? Yeah, I was going to say that's a pretty apt description. I mean, so the story... I think it in and of itself is interesting, but it just seems like they set things up to be like a high stakes kind of open environment. And then they just take it all away. Like nothing of import happened. So you spend all this time reading the fluff in the book, which is kind of what we were reading the book for in the first place, you know, with Vigilist Defiant, there was a lot of, new stuff revealed and and some new lore and you know watching uh, a gene stealer cult revolution be fleshed out and learning about speed wogs and regular wogs and the fact that the uh 
the Blackstone was found in a lot of different places, that it was, you know, a mineable resource on this planet of all things. You know, like they're setting all of this up and fleshing all of these things out. And then in this one, basically the planet is right back where it started before anything crazy happened. Oh man, spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the gravity's a little different though, so. Yeah, that's big, true. Big change. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, the gravity is a little different. And uh, I don't know. The, that's the what I paid for that, $50 like, for, was to yep. find out the gravity was a little different. <laughs> yeah, but but why the gravity is a little different is uh, is interesting. So Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's plenty of interesting moments in a blaze. Uh, I think, as always, the creative team has a lot of cool ideas and a lot of uh, interesting bait on the line. But I think... I just want them to go there. I think they're really afraid to go there with any of their story. And I think they kind of hide behind this idea of, oh, well, we're just creating this sandbox for the players to play in. And I don't even think that they're really doing a good job of achieving that. Because if you, personally, we when we talked about the first half of Vigilus and Vigilus Defiant, we were all really excited because it was like, here are all the factions. They're all involved. They all have reasons to be there. There's different characters, different biomes, different settings, and it gives you a really fun and unique place to play the game. And you can kind of create your stories around that greater story. But then in a blaze, they kind of undo so much of that that I think it actually leaves you in a less creative and less inspiring sandbox than where they started. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. Like a, after the first book, we were all, it was like, I want to dive in. Like there's so much content there that you can expand upon and make, make it your own battle on the the tabletop, right? And you know, a blaze it kind of answers a lot of those questions. Or, you know, for me, and correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a while since I've read through this stuff. But it, like, basically, it a lot of the fights, like the the wog and and the Jude Steeler cult battles, kind of end, but they don't really describe how they end, right? It's just like they're fighting and yay, we've done it. <laughs> it, it basically like Calgar kind of like baits the wog into the gene stylers and it's like, all right, and that's problems fixed now. They'll yeah. just kill each other. Well, and uh, it talked about how like the, was, I guess the orcs being on the planet, like triggered the gene stealer cult plans before they were ready fully. And so it kind of fizzled out because there wasn't enough support or something yeah and and then so to me i think something to that it kind of felt crappy at the end of the day was like in the first one they didn't really flesh out the whole drukari thing but they just kept kind of like oh and now there's these drukari raiders and they're kind of just ravaging this one city and that kind of gave you a really cool spot to if you were a drukari player to say hey i could make my my army, you know, fighting in this part of the city and we can make these missions based on these kind of, you know, raids and all of that. And then in the second book, it was like, oh, and then some demons showed up and all the Drukari ran away. And it was yeah. like, oh, all right. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. It's a little bit, a little bit disappointing. It was, it's almost like we should have stopped at, at the first book. And, but as 40K enthusiasts, we want answers or, you know, for the last few years, they've been like, we're going to push it forward. We're going to push it forward. And they've pushed the setting forward as far as the overall universe. 
but these stories continue when they with, with the campaigns these mm-hmm. stories lead up to defining moments and they never really push the story forward um well they use a lot opinion. of the same tropes over and over again too i mean i i thought my eyes were going to roll out of my skull when yet again space marines had to make a peace treaty with the eldar and the eldar yeah. just saved the day like, yep. I, 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 we know that I have my personal bugaboos with the Eldar, but I can put that aside and try to say subjectively that is maybe the single most boring 40k plotline that has existed in the last 10 years. Because yeah. it, it gives me no reason as a player to want to, to play against Eldar. It, it, it's so predictable that if there's Eldar in a story, it's like, well, they're going to have some mysterious reason to want to help the, the humans. It's it's just it's overplayed in my opinion. Yeah, it's like a it's a telegraphed Eldari ex machina. Yeah, Eldari ex machina, exactly what it mm-hmm. is. You see it coming from a mile away, and it's and it's just always it's the same crap, right? Like something happens, and the Imperium and the Eldar are at each other's throats, and then some Imperial statesman, usually one of my boys in blue, trot out, and they're like hey, we all want the same thing. Can't we just make peace for the day? And the Eldar are like, well, we have our sneaky reasons. So yeah, I guess we will. And let's just bring all this crazy technology and our ninja skills and we'll do all the things that the eight feet tall superhumans couldn't do for some reason. And it's like, why? Why are we doing this again? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and for me, and I understand why, they, with the stories, they're afraid to carry kill off main characters and you know in today's day and age with movies and dramas and and all things that are are great those books movies whatever may be they're willing to kill off main characters and because the game is based around models they have i i feel they have a hard time saying so-and-so is 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 gone or this is so-and-so storyline so when we get to the pinnacle of this book you know something happens to prevent that again and i'm trying to not give spoilers if you guys want to give spoilers you can but it just is like oh wait we fight we fight we fight someone's gonna die this is gonna be the breaking point oh no some random thing or some well thought out thing but it's kind of random the 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 hail mary works out and you know they're saved so yeah well i also i think it would be so freeing for them to kill off characters because because the models exist and because the stories exist and because the game can kind of live in a time vortex right like like just because they kill off a character in the plot of the the books doesn't mean that you can't play a game that took place before that event and so if they killed off characters that's it they don't have to keep redesigning them like how many models of marnius calgar have we had you know yeah. they could just stop and be like this is it because this was what he looked like at the time of his death and if you want to play with him from before that that battle just took place before that event and now they have all this open space to design new characters and create new stories i think it would be super freeing but it is disappointing to yeah. see that they're so afraid of it well you yeah. can there's obviously an audience for that because look at all the people who play heresy mm-hmm. right right so yeah. like <clears throat> and you have all these people in the world that play um you know historic miniatures games like that doesn't matter to them they can if they like that character they're going to play that character so it doesn't really matter yeah like when magic the gathering is more willing to kill off main characters in a freaking card game that has 
like such a weirdly structured way to deliver lore, but a game like Warhammer where they have the just they the, the game is based in hundred page books every edition, and they they just won't do it. They won't budge, and it's it's kind of maddening. Yeah, yeah. And My, it's not like it would even affect like competitive gameplay either, right? No. Like, I mean, you know, think about after the Primarch drop, you know, you would, at a tournament, you know, you hear stories about Magnus and Mortarion versus Magnus and Mortarion. Like, right. who, first of all, have no business working together. And second of all, like, why are there two of them on the table? Right. You know, people are going to play what they're going to play, mm-hmm. you know, based on whether that, you know, model is, quote, efficient or not. You know, not based on, you know, oh, Marnius Calgar is the coolest character in the lore. So it's not like that they would lose sales on that end either. Yeah, I mean, because we're going to do that right now, right? Like the with a Blaze storyline, we don't really like that. Like if we ever revisit it, it's just going to be Vigilus Defiant. To me, it will be. Like I don't. The only thing I liked in a Blaze, and I would be remiss to not mention it, is that there was a fallen base on the planet and the dark angels were just attacking it in the large swirl. That that was my yep. favorite part. It's really <laughs> the only part I care about. Well, and I mean, and that base was pretty integral to, you know, kind of the major plot points. Yeah. But even that I still kind of felt was somewhat underwhelming because yep. there was some deus ex machina as to why the dark angels couldn't get there. Right. And it was kind of like a, a wasted plot point. I thought, cause it was cool to find out what was there and then what they did with it was kind of like, Oh, all right. And now we're on to Act 4. Yeah. So enough bashing the story. I mean, still (laughs) thank you for GW for giving us this wonderful campaign. Uh, You know, it's definitely a setting that people can, can, um, can grab a hold of. We like the first book. Not so hot on the second part of the storyline, except for the fact it introduced some new units and new rules. And because Trace is our chaos player, I mean, Trace, what did you think of a blaze from a rule standpoint for your, for your faction? I mean, it, it opened up a ton of new opportunities for many chaos players, not just like black Legion players, because it introduced the renegades rules, like the independent renegades rules. Um, and then like got all kinds of new units. They revamped a bunch of units that needed some love. Um, you know, the, the, uh, Lord discordant, is like one of the coolest models I've ever seen. <laughs> um, and it's, it's a really strong choice in, you know, for narrative and for, um, for competitive play. Like there's, it's getting a lot of play competitively. Um, and then they, they tweaked the Havocs because like we talked about before on the show, like they did, they designed the models first and then they come up with the rules after. And so when they design these new, like, beefy havoc models that had um like these stabilizer talons and stuff on them like of course they made new rules for them now they're toughness five and don't suffer penalties for moving and shooting like um i think it's i think they just they offered a lot of cool new ways for you to play um play your chaos marine armies and you actually will see chaos marines on the bet on the field now mostly because of one of the renegade rules that they introduced which was the uh the red corsairs where you can basically if a you can teleport a unit of 20 um chaos space marines across the battlefield um if they take some casualties kind of like what they did with um 
Tide of Traders, which was the cultist stratagem. Yeah, they come back. Yeah, yeah. so you can kind of, you, you know, you actually see Chaos Marines on the board, which is something that all of us have been crying for for a long time. Um, they're not, you know, they didn't really change the Chaos Space Marine fundamentally, but, um, you know, functionally, it, it still has, it has a place now because of some of the stratagems that are in there and some of the... Um, some of the other legion traits that they added, you can make some pretty crazy combos too with the um, with the renegade rules. Like, there's especially since they F the FAQ changed the way that you, the legion traits work. It now works on all characters and not just infantry, bikers, and dreadnoughts. So, <clears throat> like now your chaos lord on a juggernaut actually gets his legion traits. Which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, Do you think so? Basically, a blaze was you know uh, chaos space marines codex 2.0. Essentially, that's, yeah. That's so. Do we do we think that that maybe this is the way we go forward? Like from a campaign standpoint, instead of updating the books, they just continue to do a campaign, and that's how you get your mm-hmm. 2.0. Is yeah, that... and I think I think you're gonna see exactly the same kind of format that they did with the with the way that they released the Chaos Space Marines stuff, because they re-released the book that had some of the stuff from Vigilus the Blaze in it. So it had, like, the Lord Discord and the new Dark Apostle, all that stuff. They had the the Psychic Discipline for the... Um, what you Master call it? Possession. Master, the Master Possession. But they did not include the Black Legion rules, like the the exclusive Black Legion um, warlord traits and artifacts and stuff. They did not release those or the um, the renegade, the independent renegade rules in are the, the book. Are the specialist detachments in the new specialist Chaos de- Space Marine no, book? No, they're not. The specialist okay. attachments are in Vigilus Blaze. So like, if you want okay. all, access to all that stuff, that's how they're going to get you to buy both. Right? Interesting. I think, I think you could probably look at it more instead of of this being like a Chaos Space Marines 2.0, this would be more of a Chaos Space Marines 1.5. And I think when... Because there's big changes, don't get me wrong. It's a a major content patch. But I think, you know, they will... Like, I think there will definitely be future Chaos Space Marine codexes in this edition that are big overhauls to certain things. Yeah, or maybe not. Chaos, maybe chaos isn't the right example, but I I would be shocked if there's not another Space Marines Codex. There will be, and there's there lots of Space be. Marine contexts in both Ablaze and Defiant. Yeah, yeah. So, like um, I said, I, I think I think I would I would say that I think a lot of these. My guess is that these campaigns will kind of be like these 1.5s, and then there will still be big reboots for some of these. Yeah, I think you'll you'll see that eventually, but I don't think that will be within the next year like at least for me for my stuff right? i mean yeah, yeah no yeah that's not what i'm saying yeah, i'm not yeah. trying to predict the timeline i'm just trying to predict the amount of changes yeah yeah i would agree but i mean it wouldn't surprise me if the next campaign book is kind of instead of more like you know visualist defiant where yes there was up updates to space marines but like a blaze kind of took chaos space marines forward where defiant was just kind of 
um, you know, f- not well formations or whatever, but whatever you want to call them, <laughs> specialist, <laughs> attachments. specialist attachments. I still call them formations. Uh, you know, it was that in a few updates, but like a blaze definitely, I think moved the rules for chaos space Marines forward. And yeah. now we have a bunch of space Marines that aren't in my book. So like we have, you know, the whole, the whole, uh, the whole set, of Shadow Spear, as well as the new tank that they previewed at Warhammer Fest, which mm-hmm. I know has gotten a lot of criticism because Primary Space Marines need a dedicated transport, but I really like the big gun. Because I like the Repulsor tank anyway because of the way it looks like a Bradley fighting vehicle. And now you put that bigger um, turret on it and the bigger cannon, like... Yes, please. I'm not a big fan of the plasma, but I know that they have to put that in there, um, f- you know, for everyone else. But that big, the big old ass cannon, I can't wait to see its stats and and blast well, it, some things with it. Yeah, and it kind of fills a need for your for your force, especially if you're trying to run all Primaris, because one of the things that you're really lacking in is some solid anti armor that aren't hell blasters. You know, like. Yeah. Because Hellblasters will just get wiped off the board if 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 people prioritize their targets right. Um, but you know the it gives you a nice a sturdy base to to have an anti tank weapon on, and it's fast. It can fly. Like <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of good things. There's a lot of things to like about those tanks, and people give them hell. But I'm like, look, that's a flying land raider. That's what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't have well, a two think- plus save, but. Well, I know that I, I can say for myself personally, who an owner of two repulsors that don't see the table, is they're so flippin' expensive. Oh, and yeah. like I can only imagine that this one is going to, because it's still a transport as well, is going to be at least the same amount of points. Yeah. And so you get to a point where it's, I do think Primaris deeply need that kind of heavy weapons platform. I just don't know what their vision for how this fits into your common game because i think you're gonna most people are gonna struggle to fit this into a thousand points and 1500 will be i think the smallest game you could play with one of those yeah yeah i got some sneaky anti-tank in the new the new marines the phobos marines because they wound anything on a hit roll of six like there's some cool little ways to force saves on vehicles with those too yeah i'm just saying about that tank in particular why that one gets some hell yeah, yeah I, I'm just talking though, and I completely understand why I got. I mean, because the original lay, loadout of the one that I have is with you know the la- the twin last cannon like and layout, the last talent, yeah. yeah, the last talent and the last cannon. So, like, I was using it as an anti vehicle. I don't think it hit hard enough. So I, but I just like the aesthetics of the new model, and I, oh, and I think, gorgeous, yeah. And I think it's going to be, from a point standpoint, I think it's going to be very similar because I think the transport capacity will probably be cut in half like they used to do with the old Land Raiders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, yeah. it'll all bounce out from a point standpoint. But yeah, I, they are very, very pricey. And really the, the Repulsor kind of shines with the the heavy bolters and the anti-infantry one just because you throw so many dice, even though it can be anti-whatever because it just throws mm-hmm. a lot of dice. Um yeah, yeah. I think so that's just like an interesting thing where they get into a bit of a rut with the model first design philosophy, because like I think I don't think a repulsor is unfairly priced by any means for everything that it does, 
but it just does so many things and has so many weapons caked onto it that you're kind of like, did yeah. I really need a tank with 42 different weapons <laughs> that flies and, and transport <laughs> capacity? And, like, well, and then like you get into the whole thing where like if I'm playing Danny and Danny's like, okay, I'm going to shoot my repulsors now. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go get a drink. You want anything? Like, <laughs> and there's so many different things on it. It's like, I can't remember what, like there's a frag launcher, a crack launcher, heavy bolters, storm bolters. Yeah, there's so many similarly named Flying things, stubbers. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, there are a lot of a lot of little modifications with the anti t- uh, anti-air missile pod that's in the back and like you said frag launchers and different missiles off the side it's a lot and that's why the points go and unfortunately we live in a game where yes even though it was nerfed a little bit in the faq but the the castellan exists and if there's a castellan on the board like that tank is done and i don't think it can do it in reverse that's why i'm excited to see the large last cannon <laughs> yeah, I think you'll see. I think you'll see a little bit of a return to some armor now that the Castellan can only get to a four up and vulnerable save and not to a three up. But like, um, and the fact that it costs like a bajillion CP to get it to function correctly now. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think I think you'll see more of tanks exactly like that. I think you'll see more like from Admech. You'll see more of the Honor Honor Grid Doom Crawlers and stuff like that back into the meta. Um, Because they they have a nasty gun on them. Um, The anti-tank weapon, anyway. Yeah, that neutron laser is pretty potent. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's pretty good. Um, Go ahead. Hopefully we will get a dedicated transport at some time. And I do like, you know, from a design standpoint, I really like... It took some flack because it used the repulsor chassis. But that's the way original Space Marines or OG Space Marines, like the Rhino was the chassis for everything except the Land Raider. Yeah, so right. I really like the fact that it 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 has that. And hopefully the dedicated transport is really just the repulsor without a top. So, Well, and I think uh, something just to remember, too, is like when they talked, when they did that interview on um, VoxCast where they talked about how the, like the design space for the space Marines and especially the Primaris Marines, um, the same logic in my mind goes to the vehicles as it did with the, the armor that they wear. Like it's, yeah. it's just like an underlay and they bolt everything on. Right. Yeah. So it makes sense to me that they would design the vehicles the same way. Like they're multi-use vehicles, like a multi-use chassis and they just bolt on whatever they need right before they go. So, I think I would have been just a little more excited with the design of the new tank if they had given it side sponsons, just to something to break it up. Because like that was what made the Predator look so freaking cool compared to a, a, a Rhino, is it had the side sponsons as an option. And that's not to say it's not coming in the future by any means, but I think if that popped out and they're like, oh, and then you can also put these bad boys on the sides, I'm like, whoa, this thing looks crazy. But Yeah. But anyway, we got in a whole different tangent about new models coming out and metas, and I'm glad we went there. Um, but to to wrap up a blaze, you know, story was was typical uh, campaign disappointment story. Um, but we are very appreciative for the new rules and the setting that we have to play in. Does that basically sum it up? Anybody have anything else to add to a blaze? I would uh-huh. just like to say that even though I kind of crapped on it, bad 40k is still good 40k at the end of the day so that's right like at the end of the day yeah i'm sitting here complaining but it's still a book that i read and i i enjoyed mostly and enjoy it more than many other things that are available to me for entertainment all right 
Well, with that, we're going to take a break and we'll be back a couple minutes with the next segment. Hey, welcome back. Um, so in this segment, we're going to talk a little bit about something that's going to be affecting pretty much everybody in the hobby uh, within the next month or so. Actually, I think the pre-order for these is going to go up on June 8th, um, and that's the new contrast paints line from GW. Um, <clears throat> they went into a pretty good amount of detail at Warmer Fest about what the paints are and how you're supposed to use them, and they completely destroyed... Duncan Rhodes and his tagline of two thin coats um, yeah. by just saying one, one thick coat. coat. Um, it's a great marketing campaign. But the great, part, but that that campaign would not exist without Duncan. So, um, well, that that would be my point. Is if it's two thin coats and if he created that, well, then it just happenstance. But it, I want to give GW some credit. They may have been working on this. This might have been a long term. No, it, it was probably just. Probably just luck of the draw, and it's great if it's right in there. Yeah, yeah they, I just, could, they could count on the internet to meme that, though. Yes, that's true. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's where it comes from. The internet memed the hell out of him saying it all the time. Yeah, and it's like the the funniest. You know, some of the funny ones I saw in the scene are like, "What does Duncan wear outside? Two thin coats." You know that. <laughs> yeah, um, that kind of thing. So, um, but I personally, um, I'm actually very excited about these. But I'll get into some of why I'm excited about these kind of inter- intermingled with what I'm going to ask you guys. So, um, so Jared, we'll start with you. What, what is your initial take on, on these contrast paints? What do you think they're going to do? What do you think they're going to do for the hobby? So I think that they're going to be able to accomplish what a lot of people have been trying to do since the latest paint line came out. So I have personally tried to wash paint models. So back in the day, before I sold them with the lizard men, my skinks were all wash painted. So primed white and then used washes to get color on the skin. And then I would go in and brush paint, you know, with your base paints and your highlights and and washes to do like weapons and shields and all that stuff. But the skin, the green skin was primed white and then washed green. Mm -hmm. And I was always a little upset because I couldn't quite get like a highlight to work when I did that, that there wasn't the, the tones didn't match. So if I tried to go back with a brush and do a highlight on top of a wash, the color saturation didn't look right. And so I've seen other people be able to do it a little better, but the, the difference between the consistency in the current washes and then the current base or layer paints, just didn't work for that and then i've looked at what they've done now with the contrast paints with the test models and i'm like oh that's exactly the effect that i was trying to pull off Mm -hmm. with the wash paints so i'm excited to see how they work out i think you and i were actually doing a lot of that same stuff right around the same time because that was when we were really hot and heavy into fantasy and i was i had wash painted essentially 40 chaos marauders that's right at the same time like i did all my skin tones that way um you know and that was before i really started airbrushing um right got them all primed white wash painted the majority of them so i was right there in the same boat and i always had kind of the similar um had similar 
uh, feedback for that too, where I was like, there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough contrast there yep. to contrast there's to really to really push that style of painting for tabletop. Right. Um, it always felt real shallow. Like my depth on my my barbarians was like super thin. I felt like yeah. they all just looked like they hadn't been out in the sun at all. Right. Um, so I, I definitely agree with you there. Um, <clears throat> I do, I do think that it opens up a cool space, especially for lizard men players, because I feel like these were designed especially for lizard men players. Yeah. Um, well, I think about lizard men, whatever you want to call them now. Yeah. I think about blood letters. I think about plague bearers, you know, yeah. anything that's, Organic shapes. I've organic been thinking about shapes. organic shapes. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, they did all those test colors. They've got all those Primaris Marines in the test colors, and they look really good. Yep. Um, Danny, I know you've, you're kind of our, our, our typical GW traditional. traditional um, I like my line highlights. <laughs> I'm an old man yelling at clouds, you can say it. Yeah. I don't like change. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, so I, I have to, I have to disagree on the whole, the Primaris things look amazing. Cause I, th I think the contract paint contrast paints are really exciting. I want to say that upfront, I'm going to buy the hell out of them. I'm going to own them in my range and I'm going to use them, but I think they have kind of oversold the magic of contrast paints, especially this concept of one thick coat. Cause I have seen a lot of these Primaris Marines that just look like somebody just globbed some paint on it. And it's like, yeah, it's settled in the crevices, but I still see the splotches that you see from, especially anything that's not organic shaped. You see the splotches that you see from the normal washes. And so in, in the best things that I've seen come out of it, even with the organic shapes, are some of the professional painters that have used the new medium to kind of water them down and even yep. use the contrast paints in a more methodical and placed way by putting them in recesses and using the colors to kind of wet blend and stuff. And that's where I've seen it really shine. And I think that makes it some techniques a lot more accessible to yep. painters, but I don't mm. think this is a panacea that's just going to all of a sudden like change your 50 shelves of gray into these amazing models i think it's a great tool and personally i just think they are what washes should be because there's nothing that a wash does now that a contrast paint can't do better right mm. and i you know i i agree with you like i think um i think they do open up a lot of really cool space for just new experimentation which is what i'm Absolutely. the most excited about um because like to me these open up a lot of things that you would try and do with like oil paints you know mm -hmm. they're they're very they're they're working life is a lot longer than the traditional gw acrylic paints that we've been used to so that's going to be something that we'll have to adjust to um but i think like if you like to weather things if you like to um <clears throat> create interesting color transitions i think these are going to be awesome for, for people who like to do those kind of things. And there's so many other applications too, but those are just two things that come straight to the forefront of my mind. Um, oh yeah, and I would be lying if I didn't say that like the idea of contrast paints make horde armies infinitely more appealing. Absolutely. Like, that that they've And they've said that from the get-go, and I think that is a great selling point because 
y'all know that I have recently gotten out of Age of Sigmar, but I've also recently said, oh, those goblins look super cool. But right. there's no way I'm painting 100 goblins. It ain't happening. But I might now. <laughs> right. And so therein lies its own kind of yep. virtuous circle of marketing. But yep. I'm just not yeah. convinced that they are this magic that they're really selling right now. That'd be awesome if you got goblins. <laughs> Easy, Jason. Um, and, and like in the first thing that came to my mind when I saw them, I was like, oh, I can paint my demons so fast now. Like, and it's just because like I was doing a lot of those things, the super thin paints on my demons anyway. So, um, then they've basically, these are like made for that type of army where it's like very organic, but it's like lots of similar color tone. That's going to be, it's going to be super easy. Um, but I know one of our, our resident non-painter or person who likes to not paint, or doesn't <laughs> like to paint, 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 paint. Or likes to act like yeah. he wants to paint, but then doesn't, <laughs> um, owns all the tools to paint, just doesn't use them. Correct. That's right. Um, Jason, what do you what are you most excited about? Well, oh, I'm I'm gonna buy these paints. I'm gonna <laughs> open. I'm gonna buy them. Um, you know, I, I'm excited because the opposite of like Danny. So I think that one from a marketing standpoint, like it's a great pitch to get items painted. Like as I've gotten older and in more ingrained in the hobby. I'll be the first to admit, like, <clears throat> I love a good paint job. And when I first started playing, and anyone that didn't have a good paint job, it was like, oh, that model looks like crap. And now it's like, whatever, you have paint on the model. When I'm standing three feet away from it, it looks fine. And I think that this tool or this paint line of paints allows us to ch achieve that. Like, you know, I've stopped, like even going forward with my painting method uh and just because i don't like i want to like when i try these paints i want to be able to paint something especially like the the um the the godsworn hunt and i want them to match if if this is the line that i i want to use and i think that getting three colors that tabletop standard with these paints is so much more achievable mm -hmm. because yeah really is it's a base paint it's a base paint a layer a wash put in the one um not with the amount of detail that i think that we're all accustomed to uh in this group with you know the level that you guys paint but um to get that basic tabletop standard out there i think is great and i'm excited because it's a gw paint so these lines are made to work with the old ones so i've mm -hmm. most of my most of my armies are painted with traditional gw colors so they blend right in um or should blend right in. So I'm really I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to trying it to see if it does simplify the the way that I paint. And then more importantly, like I do have an airbrush and I enjoy airbrushing. Uh, I want to see what I can achieve with, you know, the gradient highlight um, zenithal. Or did I say that right? That's right. Um, zenithal highlight, what I can achieve. I did watch a YouTube video today where they did they did a zenithal highlight and the yellow did not work so that was a little disappointing but then they go back and they do it with a darker color like a red um and it worked pretty pretty well like there was you know even the black recesses tinted red so that was really exciting to see uh is it the greatest paint job ever no but then again this line is not meant to be the top of the line and i think that they're pushing that forward 
in their their line like it's about paint your model like get it table ready get it battle ready get it parade ready i really like those steps because mm-hmm. it'll it opens the hobby for more people and especially me who i do not like to paint <laughs> yeah. um so the interesting thing i think that opens up for the zenithal priming and highlighting stuff um is that if you really start to delve into some color theory i think that the zenithal prime like if you prime not black mm-hmm. um i think you're going to get some really cool effects that would take a lot of effort to do otherwise um like for example that that imperial fist marine in that video that you watched today where they use the door where they use the yand and yellow to try and make that uh, yeah. imperial fist <clears throat> if you had primed with a different color other than black and then done the zenithal highlight so if you had done like even and people are going to look at me crazy for saying this but like even if you did like a super dark pink underneath and then you did the the zenithal highlight over top because that pink is sitting on the opposite side of the color wheel from the almost the opposite from the as from the yellow, you're going to get a really super desaturated yellow rather than just a black underneath. Interesting, you, you know, and then that's where you get into some of the color theory stuff that you people really just don't know about. Like, if you really want to make a red super dark but still rich, and Danny, correct me if I'm wrong, but like you would basically do like green add green into that to where it like you want to basically add your contrasting color to that paint to help desaturate it yeah like a paint. dark you want like a forest green yes like you already yes. you want something really pigmented yep. and saturated which is what you said um yeah and that so would like absolutely do it. and i think i think that this that those paint ranges open up an interesting way for people to explore painting in general and so those that's what i'm excited about doing is like when i paint my blood letters i'm gonna paint them green first and then do that and do the, then do the zenithal highlight and then do the red over top and see how it looks right um it may work it may not like i don't know but that's the cool part about it is, is we're going to get to experiment and i think it's going to be a really interesting couple months where where we see what people really try and do with these because the GW method is a very basic method. Um, when you get these into the hands of all these people who are like just acclaimed artists within the community, right? what they're going to do with those is going to be completely different and be like, what did you just do with that? That kind of deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited just like you are, but for different reasons. And um, I, I'm, I'm I'm pumped to have them just to play with. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, we all know, like, I like to paint the details, right? I hate, and I know I got an airbrush and everyone that's listening is going to be like, just do it with your airbrush, Jason. But it, like, for me, I'd rather just have the model appear and have most of the, the big bulky work done. And then I can pick out the, you know, the, the purity seals and the crests the eagles and all that's like i that's what i like to do i don't like mm-hmm. to do the the bulk of the work so right there's only so much that a, an airbrush can do for you on a base coat anyway correct well that's and i think that's kind of thing where i'm coming from so i think that applies to every paint is yep. that every paint can only do so much they're all tools and 
I get that this one may be able to do more than some other paints, but I'm skeptical that it is as utilitarian as they're shifting it to be. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like they're they're advertising it as magic paint and it's not. Um you're still gonna have to know how to apply it correctly and you're still gonna have to practice like your first couple models with it, you're gonna be like, oh my god, that looks terrible. Um especially you, because it's different than what we're using now. Yeah. Um and you'll still need brush control, right? Yep. Like so if you're trying to if you want red rimmed shoulder pads on your space marines, like you're not gonna be able to put the blue contrast paint on and then yeah paint over it with the red right like you're gonna have to keep the blue off of where you want the red and then go back over i do think overlapping some of the contract contrast paints is going to be shockingly difficult to undo for a lot of people because once you throw two coats of that shit on there you might as well Mm -hmm. just painted it with a base paint yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that is one thing that they're not really they kind of gloss over is like well if you mess up just just hit it with this primer in a pot, like, and that that mm-hmm. requires brush control. They're definitely skipping that if you slop it onto his gloves or slop it onto a, an item like for a space marine. His gun, like his gun's gonna be black. Like I can't just hit it with the dark, dark blue and then hit it with the black contrast paint and expect it to look the way you want it to look. Yeah, but. <clears throat> To me, it's just it's another tool in the toolbox, which I oh, always yeah. like having more tools. And um, I'm glad you guys are excited about it. And if do you guys have anything else that you want to add about it? If not, I'll kind of put a bow on this, and we'll go on to our next. Which well, is the the new website? Like I think when you oh yeah the citadelcolor.com yeah the citadel color yep that is um, so much better than the old white dwarf like three steps here it is. Prime. Yeah, here it is. Base. Yeah. Here it is. Heavy metal style. <laughs> yeah, so now you know how to paint too. <laughs> you you only need these six paints to achieve this model. Yeah. No, yeah. no, you don't. It's not green. Yeah, it's just triangles. Yeah. Just triangles or two circles, and you have an owl. Yeah, <laughs> two circles, um, owl. <laughs> um, but yeah, like there's, and if if you guys haven't checked it out, you should definitely go check out that the website. Um, I went and looked at it yesterday i think it was yesterday um and there's some they get into some more of their advanced stuff like they get into weathering and they get into how to use different um finishes like your uh, art coat and your uh, lamian medium to help like matte finishes and glossy finishes and yeah so there's a lot of useful information over there if you're just starting out in the hobby well and they released something i think it was on facebook when i saw it that they're going to try and do a tutorial for every single Citadel miniature. So there will be a video for every miniature. Yeah, it was part of their introductory video. Yeah. Yeah, I missed that one. Um, so, should be some cool stuff coming down the pipes. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see it, and I'm excited to see... We'll, we'll come back to this conversation in a couple months and find out kind of like what we feel about it. after Like things that... Interesting things that we've learned about it um, from experimentation and I'm interested to see Danny's take because Danny likes his way of painting. <laughs> um, I like things and I hate things. Okay, guys, it's not yes. like I profess this in front of you all. Yes, it was definitely in your bowels <laughs> at your wedding. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, no middle ground with Danny. No, nope. no middle ground. Love it, hate it. No. Um, so with that, we're gonna. Loving on over to another segment here in just a second, and we'll be back in just a minute. 
All right, we're back, and I'm running a segment, and that means it's cracked glass because I don't know anything about Underworlds. All I heard is there's some stuff going on. You guys have been recording, like, epic podcasts that might as well be War and Peace, uh, and I ain't got time for that. And so I'm just going to say a little uh, undead night haunt birdie geist thing came into my life and told me that they're doing something with the boards. They're changing up the boards. The what you can't flip a board what's going on yeah so oh my gosh <laughs> so this week the uh the rules for the the grand clash in july in uk were posted at war like at the warhammer world and there's a little blurb in there that says this time and the best of three match so in a match you can only ever use a board once and that's like one side of the board um so in your three games you can over only ever percent present that board once and that's uh it's pretty big from the way that you design your warband and the way that like your strategy goes in pre-game so i think we've all sat there and devised what board would be best if i play faction x with deck y this is the board yeah. this is the best board and yeah. now i have to pick three because right. i cannot even if i win the role i can't present the same one that i've presented yeah. before so yeah it was always pretty easy to be like okay this is the board that i'm going to choose if i win the roll-off and this is the board that i'm going to choose if i lose the roll-off and or it, and it might be the same like but for me this it's definitely going to require some thought uh, well you can't just throw out soul refractor every time that was only when i was playing far strider far striders and not just any far striders but my like no i'm not going to let you do anything that you want to do far striders and so I'm not like playing a super that anymore. Positive gameplay style. Yeah, yeah, it was a totally positive gameplay experience. <laughs> totally. Well, so do you guys feel like that? Place. Do you guys feel like that expands your your game experience or limits it? I feel like anything that you can add into a game that involves another level of decision making is a good thing for the game. So, yes, and that's probably not a super popular opinion, but um, anytime that you can't settle like if it i'm certain more bands come to mind like stormcast eternals that just turtle at the back of the board like yes you can still do that but there's only one or two boards that you can really do that really well on um and now this gives an opportunity for the other player to potentially get back into the game and make it go to that third game you know what i'm saying yeah so well, do i you, think do it, you, go ahead but, sorry no you go <laughs> well do you think that that is going to make uh war bands more swiss army life swiss army knife like or are people going to double down on specialization i mean i think certain war bands are going to have more of a disadvantage for those um i think it pumps some of the three or four person war bands up a little bit because you'll have more favorable yeah, you have less yeah less spawns yeah that's i mean that's my only negative to, to it so like trace has said i think that it it gives you another choice, and I think it's a good thing because now the game doesn't – it's not like rinse and repeat. So if if those two rolls go exactly the way that they, they went on game one and game two and I, I get to place my board second and I'm playing a passive warband, like I know how this game is going to go. Like I'm putting my board down. I know exactly how I'm going to move. Um, so it, it adds a little diversity, you know, because not – now the game will be different because I have to pick two different boards. Um, 
But for me, the larger warbands is what it hurts because mm-hmm. when I played Guard and even Godsworn, there are just some boards that that put me at an extreme disadvantage to whatever my plan is. I mean, with Godsworn, and I'm, if I'm playing against Molog, like I don't want to be a turn one, two hex away where I just get to get swung on from from him without making him at least move once. And I'm not saying that still it can't be achieved. Like I haven't sat down and studied all the boards, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be able to find three that cannot be twisted that way. Um, I guess, well, I guess where I'm trying to kind of wrap my head around this is, so it's still best of three. So you still have to win just two. So ideally you want to have two boards that you you can set up on and so what i'm kind of wondering is like when you guys are approaching this new rule change are you just going to keep playing your style and find the two boards that best fit that or are you going to try to kind of spread your deck around so that you can kind of handle more situations i think it's just going to require a better knowledge of the boards themselves like like it's going to be one of those things where like any one of the three of us can like almost not any card, but there are a lot of cards where we could just be like, oh, this card would be good for this situation in this warband. Now we're going to have to get even further into the weeds and think about, okay, if I'm playing this person and I know that I'm going to be playing this person three times, what's my best opportunity for my opening hand? Like, I don't want to show everything I have. What board is best for that? So, like, it's almost you want to save your best board for second game. Does yeah, that make now. sense? Yeah. yeah. Does everybody agree with that? So, yeah, I think for me, it's at starting out, I will definitely try to play the Warband the way that I've been playing it and find the boards that fit that the best. Yep. yep. Um, and I think, I think for, you do that for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think for me, that's probably just because it's going to be the easiest way because I have settled into a decent pretty decent deck with the Iltharis Guardians, one that I'm I'm enjoying playing and I'm seeing a, a better than average amount of success with. So so it sounds like then you guys are all kind of settling on this idea that this rule change doesn't necessarily strictly impact the warbands. It more affects the player. But do you think that there are any warbands at this, besides the size thing that you guys already mentioned, but do you think there are any particular warbands at this especially hurts or especially helps or do you think it's just all a matter of flexing around it i i think for i mean for me like i don't know the entire answer to that because i haven't played in the best of three yet and having to make these decisions but like i know the gets like my goal with the gets is to get everybody to move so i you know can score the have five fighters move at the end of the turn that are still surviving and the one board that has the three hexes right in a row is not crucial, but it makes that a hell of a lot easier, right? And now knowing that I can only ever do that in one of my games, it's yeah. like, oh, okay, like, can, can I still run that warband efficiently? And, and you can, but can I, like, achieve the same things with with one that only have two together? Um, so for me, for me, what it's going to change is I want to study my opponent's board. So once I peel back the ending a little bit, like, yeah, I'm going to have my three boards. I have my number one, like I have my number one, lose the role, number one, win the role. And then my third backup. But I think where the game can be pushed even further 
is if my opponent presents board X, I know my best option may not be my number one or number two board against that board. It'll be an additional board like, oh, I really like the way this is laid out. And I don't know because we all just went with one and two if everybody knows all the boards and this little mm-hmm. tweak will make people learn all yeah. the boards. And that's how many boards are there? Eight? Mm-hmm. Ten? There's ten, I believe. Twelve. 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 Yeah. Uh, two from Shadespire plus the original damage hexes. Yeah, twelve. Two from um, Night Vault and then the new board set. So twelve. Yeah, there's twelve. Six, six physical boards, two sides each. See, like that's just a whole other level of memorization that, and like, and it's going to be super hard because they're you're trying to remember where the hex, the starting hexes are on all those things too. And like what's blocked and what's lethal. So it just opens up another level of strategy. And so that's a good thing to me. Yeah. Like it, and we've all had this game where it's super frustrating where you're trying to win the board roll and you just don't. And so you get, you just get the same thing over and over. Um, or at least close to it because that other person's like, no, I like my board. <laughs> yeah. See, but that, but that's where the, that is the only negative to me with guard in season one. I yeah. wanted to lose that role every time Yeah, because I knew the board that I was going to present and I knew what way you could flip it, but I knew I was getting three objectives and no matter what way you flipped it, either you had blocking hexes up in your face or I had blocking hexes way behind. And now that if I was playing that same deck going into Nova this year, I don't really have that same option. I have two boards that I could do, but it really like it changes where those fighters would have to go that they're right. they're they're really vulnerable. So it and that's what I think they want. And I to Trace's original point and then we can move on cuz how often can you make good radio out of boards? Like I think the three fighter warbands don't see a significant change yeah, because of this three and even even four i think the four fighters really don't, aren't super affected by this either well jason i'm not gonna let you tell me how to run my segment because i got one last question for everybody <laughs> <laughs> because uh personally i kind of think um when you start tweaking rules like this and adding beta rules it has to be for a specific purpose and that purpose should always be to make the game more competitive and I would like each one of you to kind of tell me, do you think this game, that this rule change makes the game more competitive for player versus player? Yes. And that's because, again, you're adding a layer of choice, and every layer of choice oper- gives you an opportunity for a new strategy to be employed. So, like, Jason is the first one of our group that really started to, like, bluff people. And so I think you're going to get some of the similar kind of things with this too. Like, yes, it's a board and you're presenting your one board, but like you could present a really shitty board the first time out and be like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And then the next time, like, and then you, but you have a plan for that board, right? Right. Um, I think that there's just another level of strategy that you can start to employ here. That's not really present currently, which is, which does in turn make it a more competitive experience. Yeah. Jared. 
So I say yes, and I think it's for the reason that I ran the Soul Refractor board with the Far Striders, is it's going to prevent me from running that board two games in a row, and yes. or running exactly the board that I want two games in a row, um, you know, and being able to do exactly what I want to do without you being able to do anything about it. Yep. And Jason? Uh, I will also say yes. Um, the only caveat to that is, is, I think, from a Grand Clash standpoint, it's will be another piece for new players to to get um experienced with Mm. and for that it's a double-edged sword like yes they're not going to get uh the same play experience two games in a row playing the same opponent which is i think what they're trying to achieve but at the same time it can be a little intimidating to be like i don't know here i'm just gonna throw this board out here i don't i don't know so um, but it is a competitive decision, so it's good in my opinion. All right, well, thanks for helping me wrap my little pea brain around this game that you two, you three love. Uh, still not there yet, but I'll keep asking it's a, questions. It's a solid two and a half, Danny. It's fine. It's solid, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you did say that you wanted to play Gabo, so that's why I threw the Gits thing in there. Was, oh, all right. Yeah. I see. It's shiny. Stab you in the knee. <laughs> all right, well, we'll be back. In a couple seconds. Welcome back. Um, So in this segment, we're going to start something new. uh, And it's going to be brand new and hopefully kind of keep us trucking as we go along. uh, Recording the podcast and playing games. So I was thinking the other day that we don't play enough 40k. Agreed. Um, I think Danny was sending me mind waves. Um, well, I think it's hard to not play enough 40K when you don't play 40K. Yeah. What's 40K? I don't even know. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and so we've kind of tossed back and forth, you know, offline uh, over the past year or so, trying to kick off a 40K campaign. And I decided that I'm just going to bite the bullet. And that's what we're going to do. Um, and so, you know, we'll kind of document it as we go along. We'll try to keep these segments short. Um, just so that you guys don't get bored listening us to us drone on and on about, you know, the nuances of the games that we played where you weren't there. But we want you guys to be a part of this journey as we go. Um, so we're just gonna. This is basically session zero. So for anybody that's done, you know, a pen and paper RPG, you usually have a session zero to set expectations for how the game is gonna go. Um, I have basically told. Jason, Danny, and Trace that I'm willing to kind of run the campaign as the GM and play the NPC faction as the Tyranids with the premise that there will be a planet or a system we don't know um, that is under invasion from a Tyranid fleet and the end result will be that the Tyranids will consume everything. So I don't care what happens with these guys. I'm going to win. Which is the most important thing in a narrative campaign um, is who wins. I thought the rule number one of being a good GM was like don't make the story about you. Make the story about the other players. Well, title of the campaign. <laughs> Jared yeah. wins. You don't have Jared to go home, but you can't stay here. Right. Um, well, it isn't about me because my story is already written. Um, <laughs> so you guys are going to get to write your own stories in my written story. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna run kind of I'm gonna run the Tyranids. I'm gonna try to organize the campaign. Um, and so these are my initial thoughts, and we'll go through, and we can we'll just talk about it for maybe 15 minutes or so, and 
because uh, I do have some questions for you guys. But I thought it would be cool if I worked with each of you individually to figure out a specific like end result or goal that you had for you know the next four battles or the next piece of the story arc, you know, an end goal that you have for the overall campaign um, and things like that. So that those would be conversations that we would have offline, but it would give each of you an individual goal outside of just win this battle or take this territory or whatever. So it could be, you know, you're trying to find the MacGuffin or, you know, you're trying to rescue your long lost Primarch or, you know, whatever. The the, the, okay. uh, in 40K, it's a MacGuffinus. MacGuffinus. MacGuffinacus Totalis. Narfle the Garthok. Yeah, uh, yeah. is your goal to Narfle the Garthok? Fun um, fact, my first pet, cat named Garthok. Nice. <laughs> That's a fun fact. <laughs> oh 100% gosh. true. Oh, man. That's amazing. Now I'm totally derailed. Sorry. Yep. No, that's okay. So, um, so I guess... I guess leading into it, though, I mean, the, really, the kind of the first question is like, what faction are you guys interested in kind of running? Well, do you want me to really surprise you, Jared? I do. I want to be <laughs> totally surprised. No I'm, faction. I'm it totally... rhymes with Schmultra Marines. Oh, shocking. <laughs> uh, oh. That's because it's the only faction I own, unless uh, my one woman army, or well, three woman army of Sister of Battles count. I think, well, she comes back to life, so I think you could do that. <laughs> Over and, over and over. Well, it's a narrative campaign, so the rule of one is done. So we can, you can, she can just come back as many times as she wants. There we go. It'll, it'll totally work. That's thematic. <laughs> um. So, so with the ultramarines, you've purged most of your standard marines, right? Oh yeah, all of it. I so it'll be all primaris. primaris. Oh. Cool. So yeah, so be full be cool. primaris. I got some ideas about. About, uh, I think I want my plot to be uh, pretty character driven. Okay. Less big sense. stuff, more small stuff. Yeah. I think okay. that's going to be kind of a continuing theme across, <laughs> at least, well, at least for Danny and I, because like yeah. I've got ideas about stuff for me too. But so I'll be uh, playing Chaos Space Marines because okay. I have all these new shiny models that I need to get built and painted, and this is going to give me a good opportunity to do that. So, yeah. um, I started, I have been working on some things outside of that, but we'll talk about that in another section. Um, but I, I'm excited about, um, I think I talked about this previously when we were discussing some of the campaign stuff initially in one of our early episodes where we talked about maybe doing one of these, but building on a character that was represented in some of the books but never really like expanded on and so um i'm gonna kind of take that and run with it and see where that goes but we'll discuss more about that later who that character is and those of you who've listened to the show from the beginning probably know who that is already and that i've made a conversion for that model um but uh yeah so i think that involving some of the cool special character rules from the chapter approved would be a cool thing to add in to where we can yeah. like build like a, build our own character, essentially build our own special character. Um, so yeah. I think that that's an interesting bit that we could dive dive into. Yeah, do a throwback to like the, the days of third edition when you're like your space Marine 
Captain was fully customizable. He could have yeah. like bionics and where yeah. Purity Seal actually did something. Yeah, where yeah. Terminator honors mattered. Yeah, and from like, one point. That's and right. those and those rules are those rules are really. I don't know if anybody's actually gone into them, but I know when they came out, we were all, we were all super excited about it. Yeah. Um, just well, I'm the, grabbing them right now. I got them right here. Right. You oh, got cool okay. things like plus one to your invuln. You got things like you know, ignores cover. You know, extra attacks when fighting characters. Yep. You know, bonus to weapon skill, having damage. Yeah, there's all things. kinds of basically any rule <laughs> that you've seen on any of the special characters. It's probably in there somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So uh, holy relics and sacred relics. Terminator armors. A model with Terminator honors adds plus one to its attacks characteristic. Note that this bonus has already been included in the characteristics of veteran sergeants at any Space Marine who are equipped with Terminator armor and therefore may not be taken again. Oh, nice. Oh, That's the 3rd edition Space Marine Codex right there. Sir, looking at it. Nice. That's awesome. Not a collector, <laughs> you're a collector. Yeah. So, Jason, what about you? What faction are you thinking? Uh, so, for me, I mean, I'm fine if we leave it up to you guys. Or do we put it out there for the listeners? Um, oh, that could be interesting. Chaos is a ladder. I like it. <laughs> so I think I would prefer to play Crimson Fist, but then I will really struggle having to play Danny um, with the Ultramarines from a narrative uh, standpoint. I mean, the Crimson Fist is my largest army, but I do have a very large Necron army that I have never put on the table. So, I mean... Love to get your guys the, the let me preference the reason that the Necron army I want to play it. I think that'll be a fun play style. I have a lot of models for it, um, a lot of models that are already painted. The reason is from a character development standpoint, I don't know if I identify with a Necron lord like I would a space marine lieutenant or cap- captain. Um, so it's really, but it's up to you because I. I know that you may have some storylines to allow Danny and I to fight against each other, but I think from a narrative story, that would be more fun. So I'm good. You guys can vote or we can put it to our listeners to vote. Jay, would it make you more excited if your leader was like a Catan instead of a Necron Lord? No, I just like, <laughs> no, <laughs> nope. <laughs> that was question though. <laughs> no, it, I mean, I like the Necron Lord, but there's just not a lot of customization to for me. Like, you know, when I think of customization, I think of Terminator armor or a cool gun. You know, I yeah. I yeah. but I'll I'll play. Would you them. like your scythe blue or green? Yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, you know, obviously the Necrons would be kind of easier to to fit in because um, then we have four fairly distinct factions yeah, i mean that's what i would personally prefer but i also know it's kind of a selfish choice because i don't provide options i have my yeah. one choice so sure well we could jason could give you his necrons and you could play those i mean i would if that's what you wanted to do <laughs> you're you're so minimal danny <laughs> no, i um yeah i'm fine either way i'm more like the questions i have around this jared are like, I would like to see ramp-ups and ramp-downs from scale. Like, you know, we have the yeah. Urban Conquest board and, like, that, the overall strategy of 
the world or the the system is what I, intrigues me. Yeah, and I and I have some thoughts on that. Like, um, I think starting out keeping it to core forty k rules is probably going to be the best way to go, just for us because we don't get to play all the time. Yep. Um, and then you know, so like the initial like prologue chapter or whatever, however it plays itself out would be just standard 40k but we could start small like do a 500 point battle or 750 point battle or do power level or whatever makes sense and then kind of ramp up from there um i did have some thoughts about i was thinking about it this weekend and looking at the the old mordheim um experience chart so like you get a point for every battle that like so, there were henchmen in Mordheim, which were basically units that then split into individual models when you played the game. Uh, but the idea was that like your henchmen models would get like a point for every battle, so they survived, and then they would get a point like if they killed a unit, like if they wiped out another model, or in this case, it would be another unit. You know, so capped at like two experience points per game. But you know, every five experience points, that henchman unit would gain a skill, and so you could do that with your like even with your in-game units. So your unit of Hellblasters, well, they survived a game, they got an experience point, and they took out, you know, I don't know, a Hellbrute. So they get another experience point. So after three games, they've got enough experience points to level up. And so they get, I don't know, like, you know, and we'd have to figure out, and I would work with you guys to figure out, like, what makes sense, what seems fair. Because, right, like, reroll ones on Hellblasters, obviously, does not seem fair, because then why would you not just... (laughs) overheat all the time (laughs) it Um, could be like a four deployment type thing there are multiple options yeah i mean it it could be like a plus one move or it could be you know you know plus one toughness or something like that that you know something that translates i mean uh, you know and, and i think that there are some i think there are different books floating around you know from older versions of 40k that have progressive rules that you can use as your units kind of grow over the course of a campaign that we can certainly re- look at and rely on, but Vigilist Defiant has some. Does it? Mm-hmm. Ah, I, for- I forgot that. I would just ask that for me personally, one thing that I would love to see is I would love for you to surprise me in the game. Like okay. So many campaigns are just built around like, here we played a game and then yeah. I told you some story and then we played the same game again, just with different armies. And then I told yeah. you some story, do right. some shit on the board that gotcha. reflects what's happening. So have like some some magical mystery. Yeah, because like I, to game. me, like to this day, the most vivid tabletop wargaming memory of my life. I was in sixth grade. I went to a one of like the summer games workshop events, and it was this huge table that ran the whole length of the store, and it was chaos versus Imperium, and halfway through the battle the store owner like pulled this little trap door out of one of the terrain pieces and a freaking land raider came out and just like started mowing stuff down and it was so exciting because it was that whole game was just built around everybody just brought one like troops squad and so to introduce something that big and that chaotic and that powerful suddenly changed the game in great ways it gave people things to focus on and it was so unexpected and it was just it felt thematic and cool and I just love it. I think that would be awesome. Okay. So you want Jared to just randomly take control of my Knight Costello? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I mean, whatever. Like, <laughs> if it's a Necron, whatever like, it is. But seriously, like the Necron, if the Necron army, like he's got some Necron plague that just took some stuff over. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the ideas. I'm not the idea man. Well, I just want like, to or, I, or I pull your unit of Hellblasters off the table and replace it with a unit of Hellblasters painted in Alpha Legion colors. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like that would be, or or fallen angels, whatever. Like anything, yeah. like something that just all of a sudden turns the game on its head. Yeah, I think. Okay. I think those are that would be really cool. Like you know, Danny and I are playing, and all of a sudden, Tyranids pop up, right? And then we have to fight them as well as fighting each other. Or if I, it, yeah, yeah. Or if I am Necrons, like you know, he walks over a, a, a slumbering. Necrons on the table. Like, yeah. I already have my army, but there's some that are just like on an objective and he awakens those, and all of a sudden he's got to fight those guys right away. I think those are some cool narrative style things that we can definitely work in. And, and honestly, I probably should play Necrons, even though my story will suck. <laughs> well, I just suck. think like it'd be way more fun to go, like, imagine going into a game, like, all right, I'm playing, playing Traces Chaos, and this is what I have to bring. To play this chaos, like this is what I'm tactically bringing. That all of a sudden, none of that mattered. Like I would rather get steamrolled in a complete surprise, like crazy GM moment, than go and grind out the same game I've played a million yeah. times. No, that makes sense. We've yeah. only really played each other twice, Danny. Yeah, but you know what I mean. I meant <laughs> the royal we. I know. I know. <laughs> I was in Britain. I get to do that. Ah. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's a good start, and uh, it, it'll it'll definitely be some stuff to think about. But uh, I think, in the interest of of time and, and not droning on and on, we can uh, we can wrap up here. Unless anybody's got some last minute ideas or complaints they want to throw out, I think it would be interesting as far as like the um, going back and touching on the um, the upgrade stuff. I think it would be interesting to offer that up to the group as a vote. What do you instead mean, of, like? Instead of like just trying, because y'all know how my brain works. Like I'll be like, "Oh, I can do this thing," but like uh, offering it up. The choice like, for the upgrade being up yes. for vote. Yeah. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. So there's group input. Like, you know, what do you think about this character? What do you think yeah. about these upgrades for my character? Does yes. that make sense, or am I just being yes. a neckbeard cheesemonger? Yes. Yeah. The I answer think, is yes. <laughs> I also think there could be something cool where like it would be a lot of work on your end, Jared, but like tie upgrades to specific achievements. So like yeah. you have to do like not just like, oh, here are your points to spend, but like if you want to get that extra attack, you have to do this crazy feat of strength to earn right. that extra attack. Yeah, yeah. Like you need to wipe out four units in right. close combat. Or something that kind of puts your character battles. at a disadvantage at the, to begin with, so that it's a hard thing to achieve. And then once you do it, you feel accomplished. You know, it's not yeah. just like a ticking of a box. It's like, no, he did this crazy thing, and now he's able to... Yeah. Or she. Achievement unlocked. It's the, the 41st Millennium. It is the 41st Millennium. It is known for its progressive <laughs> cultural stance. It's your 40K gamer score. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, well... Hopefully we actually get this thing kicked off and then uh, maybe a couple episodes from now we'll have uh, have played a game or two. So uh, so we can talk about that and talk about how the campaign's actually going. Um, yay, 40K. Yeah. 40K. Some... Right? Um, cool. Well, uh, so yeah, so we'll take a break here and then uh, we'll come back and wrap up the show. Welcome back, um, and thanks for listening. Uh, this was episode 740. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Um, 
as we've said, you know, we appreciate uh, everybody taking the time to listen. Um, you can find us on Facebook, so Battle Mallet Podcast on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, uh, Battle Mallet One. Find us on the Instas, Battle Mallet Pcast. Um, you know, uh, wherever you're listening, uh, we appreciate all the subscriptions. And if you can give us a review, so leave those five star reviews on Facebook and iTunes. Um, and it's not really for self gratification. Um, I don't want to speak for everybody, but we're going to make this podcast. We don't really care what you think. Um, <laughs> Wait, what? But if you like what we're doing and you want other people to have the chance to find our podcast, leaving us reviews is the best way to do that. Um, Listen, give a five-star review and then just say all the negative stuff. It's yeah, fun. that's right. Yeah, yeah. And we'll take that feedback to heart, too. Yeah, Let's be real. We're going to look at a five-star review more than we're going to look at a one-star. So That's cause... true. Yeah. That's actually a very good point. I would probably just straight ignore any one-star review. Um, I ignore those when I buy products, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, a thousand one-star reviews? Mm, that doesn't matter. So if you're going to hate <laughs> us, five-star hate us. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Um, so thanks to Danny being here. Um, we're actually kind of doing pretty good on time. So uh, does anybody have any closing thoughts or remarks? Danny, we're glad you're back. <laughs> Thank so, you. I'm glad to be back, even if it is getting dangerously close to my pumpkin hour. It is getting dangerously close. Um, come, hang out, come hang out with me in Discord. That's that's my plug. Oh, yeah, Discord. <laughs> yeah, find find us on Discord. Join our Discord server. Um, I will probably not be on, um, as we mentioned early on in the show. You know, my hobby time is going to dip away for a couple of weeks because I'm moving, but... Um, Jason's usually in there not hobbying, just hanging out because he's bored. Just hanging out. Yeah. Trace will be in there hobbying sometimes. Danny turns into a pumpkin, so don't look for him. Um, no. Sometimes I surprise you with a drive-by, and then I'm out. With a drive-by, nope, or yep, or <laughs> that's dumb. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so uh, yeah. So thanks for listening. Thanks again. Um, and we are... Three dads and a man who knows no shades of gray. Hey. Um, this is Jared. This is Danny. This is Trace. And I'm Jason Tableau Murray. Get the hell out of here. Peace. podcast is protected under the Creative Commons license. If you have further questions as to its use, you can find more information via links on podcast.battle-mallet.com. Music by Anno Domini Beats. I, I wondered if that was what was going on. I'm touched. In all the right ways. <laughs> With the table loop. Hey! <laughs>